Hello and welcome to The Swim Brief. I am Chris DeSantis and I am joined, as I frequently am, by Joel Rawlings. Joel, how are you? Great, thanks. Good to see you, Chris. Yeah, good to see you too. Um, So I'm going to get right to it today. We want to talk about recruiting. And let me set this up for the whole audience. Uh, In the last week, one of the biggest stories in the sport of swimming was that the University of Virginia secured uh, commitments from a number of Swim Swam's top, you know, ranked recruiting, uh, sorry, recruiting prospects for the high school class of 2025. And we're not even going to get into, you know, those rankings so much, I think, in the course of this. But I wanted to have more of a, uh, I guess, a philosophical discussion of recruiting. And I think this is relevant for anybody listening to this, whether you're a a college coach, that's where it's probably going to be most directly relevant. But if you're a club coach, a lot of what we're going to be talking about here is going to be deciding you know, what the content of your team is, right? Who, who, how you should build your team, how you should decide um, whether or not people should be on your team. And I think if you're the parent of a swimmer, and I know we have parents of the swimmer that listen to this, I think, you know, listening to uh, some of this from, from that perspective also can be really valuable to you because I actually think part of, um, I have a, I have a critique of recruiting that we're going to get into here a little bit, but I have a critique of recruiting. And I think that it's relevant to, um, both sides, whether you're a, a coach recruiting or whether you're somebody that's being recruited. And the basic piece of it here is I think that the default recruiting strategy people have is let me get the fastest possible people on my team. Right. And that's how, I mean, like it or not, these rankings are sort of somebody trying to measure like how fast are these swimmers right now. Right. And I think that is a metric that a lot of people um, value a ton in the recruiting process. And in my opinion, it is overvalued. Um, And I think anytime something is overvalued, that gives you an opportunity to, um, if we use this in a verb form, to to moneyball it a little bit, right? You can take advantage of some of that inefficiency. And I see an opportunity here in recruiting to take advantage of um, some of that inefficiency and recruit with more balance um, on some other factors. And I'm going to introduce what those factors are, and then I'm going to give you a chance to respond um, with your thoughts, Joel. But I think when considering performance for recruiting, you want to have a, a, a minimum standard. And I'm happy to get a little bit more into what that minimum standard is. I know a lot of colleges in the recruiting process will have some list of times. I think a lot of those are pretty flawed. Um, and we can get into that as well. But I think you want to have some kind of minimum standard, right? If you're if you're coaching in the ACC and it takes, you know, uh, a 54-0 to score in the 100 breaststroke, I don't think that you should be like actively recruiting guys that go 101, right? That doesn't really make any sense. And even if the rest of these factors are um, that I'm going to outline are are really, really uh, excellent. You know, it's just not at the end of the day, 
the sport is competitive. We're doing competitions. So there is a minimum level sort of performance level that I do think uh, comes into play here. But I think some things, and I'll list three things that I think are undervalued in recruiting. Um, Number one, cultural contribution to a team. So how is somebody, like every person that you add to your team will change the culture of your team, right? And how do you, you know, how do you value and how do you consider how will this person change my team culturally and will they change it for the better, right? That's number one. Number two, potential for improvement, right? So you have current performance. People get ranked really high based on their current performance. But I think that you have to value and you have to have some way of deciding and measuring um, and making subjective decisions on what somebody's potential for improvement is. Because if you're a college coach, hopefully you're going to have this person on your team for four competitive seasons, right? And that's a lot of time um, where they could potentially improve a lot and it'll really change uh, their, their competitive value to their team based on how much potential for improvement. And then the last and the most squishy subjective one is I think you've got to give some consideration if you're a coach recruiting to how much you would enjoy coaching somebody that you're recruiting. I think you, you have to, uh, actually visualize yourself being this person's coach. Is this somebody that when you wake up in the morning and it's, uh, it's dark and it's cold and you're going to the pool to meet them at practice, um, are they really going to actually fire you up? Are you going to be like, wow, I'm, I'm excited to meet this person at the pool and be their coach and help them achieve their goals? So, Joel, I'm going to give you a chance to respond. Give some of your thoughts on recruiting. Respond to some of the stuff that I introduced here, and then we'll take it from there. Uh, I think there's some really good points there. I think um, one of the things is obviously uh, the, the the factors that change with that, like when you talk about Virginia's recruiting class, is, is a lot of that kind of takes care of itself. Because to get into Virginia, you've got to be a pretty good student. And usually if mm-hmm. you're a pretty darn good student, you've got a lot of discipline, especially also in your swimming, and you're a good student. I mean, just, just those two there, that Venn diagram, you're like, it's, it's going to be, a, I, I would put money on it being pretty good kid. It, you know, it's really hard to get a knucklehead that's going to be a, you know, a great student and a great swimmer and have the discipline to do all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, for them, yeah, if, if they can, if there's someone that meets their standards for, for, for excellence, the, then I think they're going to, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of those other factors kind of go in with it as well. Um, I'm going to argue I, with that, but I'm going to let you finish. I, yeah, I, I already disagree with your first point. I'm, I'm all for that. <laughs> uh, so but I, I, looking at your three points, I always thought of three points as well when I was looking at recruits is obviously that cultural fit or the, the team fit of like how, how, how they're going to be a part of that team, uh, how the team's going to react to them. And so when I was bringing kids in or, or, or talking to them, the big part was just how the, how the team felt about them. Did they feel there was any red flags or anything like that where this might be hard? It's, it's a long, long season. It covers, you know, a couple holidays. Um, and so it's a lot of time together. And so I think, you know, if, if the, the team is cohesive and they get along, it, the season goes a lot smoother. If there's a lot of infighting or things like that that don't fit, then, then obviously that's something um, that, that you want to address early on because you don't want to bring someone in and else, and, you know, 
this isn't a good fit for us. You got to go. You know, if, if, if swimming was one of the big factors to them coming to you and then all of a sudden you're like, come on in like a test run, then I think you've really done them a disservice too in this process, you know? Um, and and I, we can talk about that more later, but the idea of kind of like being open and honest about what you're looking for and, and the, the swimmer being open and honest about what they're looking for and making sure that th- those match up. And so again, I think that's like you do a whole podcast on that alone. Uh, the second thing is obviously the academics match up. I, I think stress is stress. You know, internally it's stress. If, you, if the person's overwhelmed by what you're doing athletically, you know, they're going to be broken down. Their relationships at home or, or family or friends are going to suffer. Their academics are going to suffer and their swimming is going to suffer. Or the, the other side of it, too, if they're overwhelmed academically, you know, and they're stressed out and they're falling behind, then that's going to manifest itself in, into you know, athletic performance and in their relationships. And so I just kind of look at it like those three kind of bubbles of, of athletics, athletics uh, academics and, and the team and all of those bubbles like produce stress or can produce stress and hopefully some of them take stress off. And so that's what kind of creates that, that homeostasis. But, but again, if, if they're always out of balance like that, because all of a sudden they, they're way behind and they, they have to catch up, it's going to affect it too. And then obviously there's an athletic standard too. And I've always found the athletic standard kind of like the most flawed in a sense, because um, I remember, you know, some of the team record holders we would have at, at the university I worked at were people years later that we, we might not, we would have probably overlooked because like coming in their times just weren't kind of like up to that certain level that we were looking to bring in. Uh, for us, we had roster size management. We, we just couldn't bring in a lot. And I think division one teams, obviously they have even more of a roster size management issue because they only have so many scholarships. And so right. it's kind of like, it's, it's a lazy way that we all do. What's the time that's good. I can use that in, in, into the bucket you go. Uh, but what, my, my assistant and I, he would always kind of break down and we always had like these, uh, um, I, I don't know, a pleasant way of saying it, but like there's, there's some areas uh, where you'd be like, if, if that person is going like 24 there, they're a 22, they should be a yeah. 22 right now. You know, so we kind of like put these, these factors in there. Like it depends, you know, obviously they're coming out of a club, like, you know, nation's capital. They're like, you know, what they're going is, is, pretty much what they're going is like, are they going to improve? Sure. They'll improve, but it's not going to, you're not going to see like that all of a sudden huge jump because you know, they've been coached very well. They've been trained very well versus someone coming out of a very small club and like a very rural area without a lot of access to things, you know, you get four second drops, no problem out of that. And so that was, right. that was the other factor that we'd kind of look at, especially where I was at, you know, it wasn't like, you know, we had the scholarships to pull people in. We had to kind of look for that diamond in the rough. And so you kind of look for those areas that would produce that. But again, the big thing was, again, how they're going to fit in on all those other levels, because if they're overwhelmed or culturally or whatever, they're, they're just not fitting in. I, I think that's a disservice to them. And it's very hard on your team, too. Yeah, so I want to re- I want to get to the 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 thing you were finishing there, talking about some of the competitive standards, and I'll, I'll get into my critique of that. But I, I want to circle back to the first thing that you said because I, I I did interject that I that I disagree. Yeah, um, and I don't want to use the term knucklehead because uh, in in my role doing what I'm doing, I, I want to show a little bit more empathy to some some of the kids I'm about to describe. But what, what I'll say is. I believe that there are a lot of athletes that get really good, good, get really good grades in high school, swim extremely fast and do so with an extremely dysfunctional process. 
And when that process meets college, um, it can really implode for them. And so, you know, that is the central flaw that I see in general. And I would say for the most part, colleges too don't have the resources to deal with that implosion, right? I mean, they, you have a coach who's responsible for a huge um, group of swimmers. Most places uh, I would say are understaffed. If you have um, some mental health resources within your college athletic department, like I've, even if you have that, I've seen places where, you know, there's 30 something sports and one person to do all 36. Like, it's like, it's insane in terms of, you know, how are these resources supposed to address um, this many people coming in who needs help? And don't get me wrong, on some level, I'm grateful for it because it creates work for me. Um, I, uh, I am able to step into the fray and I, I think help a lot of those people. But my experience with that tells me that um, that I, I it makes me fundamentally disagree with the contention that, you know, like if somebody is getting good grades and they're they're swimming pretty fast, that they're going to be good to go on your team. And I think that experience probably um, I hope, you know, college coaches, if you if you're listening to this and you want to weigh in on this swim brief podcast at gmail.com. That's my plug for the email. You can reach out to me. Tell me, tell me what you're seeing um, on your team in terms of this paradigm um, versus recruiting. And I guess to get to the, the, the competitive piece of it, because I think it actually, it, it, it all intersects. Um, what I see, I, I think that, when people are establishing minimum standards and when I see minimum standards out there, a lot of them to me are flawed in terms of, I think they've been set too high. And I'll, and like this one is one of the things I think I'm going to say in this podcast, that's really going to piss some college coaches off. So um, let me explain it a little bit because, and, and you're welcome to disagree strongly with me, but I, I will look at some of these lists, right? And somebody will be giving me like, here's the minimum standard for recruiting on the team. And you look on their team and you go, you've only got like one or two kids, you know, in that event that's faster than the time that you're recruiting for. And to me, this conveys zero confidence in your ability to develop athletes whatsoever. Like you're, you're basically like, I'm already suspect on the other ends, I think people should be suspect on the other end of it. And I think also it's cutting you off from the exact opportunity that you discussed, right? You had people that, you know, at a certain point that, that were like school record holders for you. But if you sort of change the standard to something like that, you would have never recruited them in the first place. Um and I, I mean, not that people should lower the standard and then open the floodgates and tell every single, you know, uh, person that's, you know, one or 2% slower than the third best swimmer on their team. You're on the, you're on the squad, right? They still have to do roster management. My thought is you shouldn't discourage those people away. You should have a system for filtering through because there's people in there that can be really, really good contributors to your team. And I think it's a missed opportunity in that respect. 
Yeah, I think, um, I guess when I set out, like, I've never really set out minimum standards for recruitment, but again, I've, I've only coached division three. I wasn't coaching at a different level like that, but even, even a little bit when I was at division one, the, the idea was for the teams I were at, I was at, it wasn't like we're going to win a national championship. What we're trying to do is, you know, win our conference meet. And so for us, our minimum standards were, were in a sense, like I would just send out, here's what's 16th place in our conference here. Here's what's eighth place in our conference. Here's what wins. And here's NCAA A and B cuts. And with the idea that what I wanted from the athletes coming in was that they would have meaningful swims at the end of the year, because we've talked about this before. The, the, one of the things about swimming is obviously it's like good season, bad season based on one meet at the end of the year, you know, the the whole year of work can be just all of a sudden this season was lost, you know, where they feel nothing was gained. Um, Obviously, that's the thing that needs to be addressed. But the idea was at the end of the year, I wanted the people obviously to be at our conference meet, which was an exciting meet, having three events that they score in where they got the whole team like behind them cheering, going crazy and just creating that environment that that's that really makes the sport special. Um, and so the idea was like these are the events that score. It wasn't like I was not going to recruit anyone below that. I wasn't I wasn't at that level of, of coaching where we'd be like, we're just not going to. But what I would look at is like, these are the levels to score at the meet. So if you want to be at this meet, if you want to be part of that group, then obviously we want three events. And so for that, it was kind of opening the eyes of some of these high school only type swimmers. Like, you know, two events just isn't enough unless it's a really, you know, if you're one trick pony, it better be a really good trick. And so right. like, let's have a third event. Let's have something that you're going to score points. So you're going to be able to um, get in, get into that conference meet so you have a good time and swim. Obviously, we would have a minimum time standard for us because the facilities I worked at weren't like 50-meter pools. It was 25 yards, six lanes, and we'd run back-to-back practices two hours each. Like at a certain point, we just can't fit everybody in. And if you can't keep up with with it in a lane, then then what are we supposed to do to get you training? You know, it, that that's all we had. And so for us, it was a little bit different like that. But I, I think – one thing I've seen in the past, and this is a lot of it in other sports too, the idea of the all-star team doesn't always work um, right. because, you know, you, you, any kind of like, I, I remember I read, I did a paper like in college about like um, Brantford Marcel's, you know, jazz musician. He'd always say like, the thing is like a all-star team for jazz ensembles doesn't, don't work either because everyone wants that solo. Everyone wants that time. And so you can't like have, you know, isolating out one player to the other or in basketball, same thing. It can't just be that same thing. And with swimming, you can obviously like having an all-star team is amazing, but some of that also has to be, this is when the, the quality of coaching comes in where you have to manage those egos. Because again, some of these kids have been their best swimmer in the state since they were eight years old, nine years old, 10 years old. And they've always like, again, you see this all the time where those top eight swimmers or the top eight all the way through, you know, eventually some kids will creep in there, but they've always, they're used to being on that A relay. They're used to being in the top three. And all of a sudden they go onto a team and like, maybe they're not on that A relay. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're in the outside lane getting with a graduate assistant working with them rather than the head coach working with them. And so sometimes they need to be able to be able to go, okay, it's time to kind of step back. And that was the idea. We always set up with time standards and things. The idea is you're, you're climbing a ladder and then you're back at the bottom rung and you climb the ladder and you kind of re- learn like that resilience and, you know, you keep on moving up and then you come back and move back up. So sometimes if they don't have that ability to go, okay, I'm here now and I want to get there. I'm going to put that work in, you know, kind of the money ball thing of, of again, how you learn from adversity 
is a huge part of that. Yeah, I mean, as you're saying that, I'm just thinking uh, back to the example again. As I said, some kids are swimming really fast, getting very good grades, but the foundation for that is so fragile. And I think that you can do a lot for yourself as a coach by being thoughtful and having a way of trying to discern, you know, what kind of foundation that's standing on because um, it's, it's possible that you're recruiting somebody who, and when I say fragile, you know, like you're, you're recruiting somebody that, you know, is just like a, like a black hole. Like if their coach is not on top of them, telling them what to do at all times, like they, they become helpless. Right. And then you put them in an environment. Maybe you put two people in that environment and one, you know, like at any given time, one of them is going to be like, well, I can't, I can't function in this, you know, like the coach not paying attention to me. Right. And then you're right. All-star teams don't work in that. So everybody wants um, a solo. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example from my own coaching career. This was, um, this was uh, probably the, one of the most humbling moments that I had. Um, and it's not an aspect of this story that I've ever told before, but I've told people about uh, how I got fired from my job in Denmark. And, you know, um, I've told one version of that story, but there's never ever one singular reason for why you get somewhere. So I'll, I'll give you another sort of turning point that led me to that. I would say six months before I, uh, maybe not even, it was probably nine months before I got fired. Um, I was riding high. I had, uh, the best junior swimmer in Denmark, somebody that was, uh, definitely going to make like our international junior team. Um, I had a couple other athletes that were right on the bubble of making that. And, um, you know, the perception was that I had the best like team of, you know, under 18 swimmers in the entire country. And so a swimmer from another team um, approached me at, with, with her mom and she was like, you know, I'd like to change teams. I'd like to come over and join your team. And she was another swimmer that was basically like a deadlock to make a junior international team. And hear me, like my ego was going on overdrive. I was like, this is awesome. I'm going to build this super team. And, you know, like everybody's going to, you know, be uh, worshiping me for my great success doing this thing. Um, and so I barely even thought about it. Right. It was just so easy. They said like, we want to come over. And I was like, great. When do you, when can you start? You know, like I did zero vetting whatsoever. Huge mistake. Okay. And this is nothing personal against, um, the swimmer in question, but it was not a good cultural fit. Uh, Swimmers on my current team were extremely upset that I that I just sort of added um, this person willy nilly, um, and within three months, uh, well, two months later, she actually qualified for the junior international team. And between qualifying and going to the meet, she left my team, and that started a trend of people leaving my team. So, like, it was like 
one of these classic moments where, you know, like I was like, I'm just going to, you know, keep launching my rocket ship all the way to the moon. And within six months, everything was crashing down um, around me. And I, I think back to that very often that uh, I think you should be very cautious in recruiting situations of stuff that comes easily to you or stuff that goes like you go like, I don't need to vet this. This is great. I'm the man. Everybody wants to come swim for me and just plowing ahead with something like that, because it can blow up in your face big time. And I know it did I read, for me. I read um, you know, uh, that book Phil Jackson wrote, one, one of those one of those biography types. And uh, he was talking about when they brought Dennis Rodman in. And the first thing he did was he, he talked to, you know, Scotty Pippen, talked to Michael Jordan. He's like, listen, if, and he actually had the whole team there. He's like, we bring him in. He's going to have a different set of rules. He's going to have a different set of everything, you know, to, for him to fit in, to be able to play here. We'll need to do this and this and this. And it's going to be different than everyone else. And it's not going to be fair for some people. Are you okay with this? And the culture there was, we're going to win a championship. He's going to help us win a championship. That's fine. And so in a sense, we're going to use him. He's going to use us. That, that's what it's going to be. You know, and so I, when I read that book, I, I started thinking about exactly the same thing. Like every time we brought in a recruit or anytime we bring in a transfer, I especially talk to the people in that event. It's like, are, are we going to be okay with this? Is this right. something that you can be okay? If this person is going to come in, there's a chance all of a sudden, you know, they're on that relay spot. They're on the relay spot with you or they're taking your relay spot. Are you going to be okay with that? You know, you're going to have every chance to, to compete. You're going to have every chance to do all these things. Are we good with that? And right. if there was a no, then it'd be like, then this just isn't going to work. Because I, I used to have, I, you know, when I first started coaching, I would have done the same thing that you did. It's like, oh, gosh, you know. One plus one, that's that's going to equal two, no problem. And, and so many times you get one plus one, that's none. Because, because yeah, now one got, plus one equals zero, yeah. <laughs> you, you, got, you got a bunch of brush fires there that you're putting out. And just like I said before, the stress of training, the stress of academics, now the stress of just being on that team, you know, right. everything everything can crumble around you. And so I was always very much like, listen, are we going to be get along? And, you know, some teams and some groups, they're just like, I want to win. If we are going to win, then that we'll, we'll do this. We'll figure it out. But again, I always looked at it as like, I don't want it to be so egotistical, like, oh, we're going to help this person, you know, get to it. And it's like, who am I? I'm not a psychologist. Or I'm not going to, you know, create a better life. It's like, I can create a training environment that's stable for you. That, that's what we can right. offer you. And, and I've had people like this too, where they've come in and they've had a lot of injuries and things like that. And, and that's just, you know, that's, that's what we do is like, listen, they're, they're not going to do your yardage. You know, I, I, would, yeah. I would tell people this all the time. It's like, you know, this, I've, I've had kids in the, the never swam more than 3000 yards that did really, really well, you know, empirically speaking, you know, that they, they would, they go on to nationals and things like that, but we we're working around a lot of injuries and things like that. And, and that was one, again, where there's going to be times where you're going to be like, I want that. It's like distance swimmers. That's not going to help you. You, you. We have to understand that I'm going to treat everyone differently but I'm going to treat everyone as fair as I can and do the best I can for you, you know, to get you to your goals. But again, it, it always had to be a pretty big dialogue with that because again, the season's so long, it's so hard. And, and for us to go, yeah, we'll just bring this person in. I'm not in the locker room with them. You know, I'm not in the back of the bus with them. I'm not in the dorms with them. It's like, you know, and so, so that was always my biggest worry was again, what one person can do in, in one season versus what you've done for 12 years, building a culture, you know, and right. I always saw like, just again, I, I thought like, we, you know, if you've got a really solid team culture and you're bringing in someone like, listen, 
I think it's going to take a while for them to kind of learn, you know, how to get where on time, how, how to how to do things like that, because it's like, can, can we handle this? And we can absorb that and that'd be OK. And everyone's OK with that. And they'd help them and not bully them into doing what everyone else is doing. But let's, let's get them to that point. You bring in two, though. No team can handle two. You know, you can you can handle yeah. one that's, that's an aberration. But but that was the idea it was like this is the curve and, and kind of explain to people like, like I used to work with with uh, Milt Nelms and his his thing was he's he's excellent. Oh, there goes the lights again. So basically, what I need is a student worker. They'll just stand in the corner and flap their arms. But now I'm <laughs> at a university where I, I can't afford that. So actually, I'm the lowest paid person on, on my team. I believe <laughs> myself. Um, anyway, Milt Nelms. So with Milt was the idea was like you know he could do a lot of things coaching wise. He could he could see a lot of technique patterns. He could do a lot of things really well. He couldn't do his budget. That wasn't what he was right. good at. It would, it would take him hours to do his budget. He was awful at that. But he, so always, he, could, he always said to me, my accountant hates me. Like, yeah. <laughs> that was. And his assistant hated him too. Good, good luck collecting receipts from that guy. But, right. but again, that's the thing is like, are the, are the positives going to be enough to outweigh this one thing? And we have to understand like what might come easy for someone like you showing up 10 minutes early. That's a struggle, but you can do it versus someone that show up like, even five minutes late is a huge struggle. So kind of getting the, the empathy level, I don't know if it's empathy, but it, but again, it's, it's maybe instead of like, you have to be able to take their perspective, I guess that it's, it's really right. hard for them. And so for us to shift their perspective, that, then, then that's, that's what we want to try to do as a team and not like, that's it. It's, it's like a, you know, drill sergeant or yelling, you're, you're worthless because you can't show up on time. It's like, Hey, you know, you're doing really well, you know, three minutes late for you is, is you know, not saying it that way, but in, in your head, right. you have to be like, you know, for three minutes for late for them, it's moving in the right direction. You know, like we're getting where we want to be. Right. Imagine throwing out again. I, I will summarize that. Imagine just um, uh, not getting the contribution of Milton Elms on your team because you go, this guy's no good at collecting receipts. Like <laughs> that's the, that's the sort of calculation that uh, but yeah, that and, and that's making. And, and the thing is, and not, not to throw value out there. I mean, that, that's exactly right, though, because there's a lot of organizations where that's the deal breaker. And, and that was right. kind of the conversation I always had with the kids. What, what are the, what's the deal breaker? What's the one thing that we're not going to be able to tolerate as a team if we're going to bring someone in? You know, and, and right. so and then then we can go back to the transfer of the recruits. Like, listen, these are the things, you know, we're all for bringing you in. You know, this is what we need to see X, Y and Z. And so it, it's, you know, being honest and upfront, I think you need to be. A, with yourself, what are you going to need as a swimmer? But B, as a coach, you need to be honest and upfront. Like, these are the things that are non-negotiable. I, I can't have whatever it might be. And then just, just lay it out there. Because otherwise, you're just going to be beating your head against a rock the whole time. And it's just not fair to anyone. Because we've, we've talked about this in the previous one, about sometimes I think we're all about, like, the sales and not about, like, oh, I didn't think about the fit when it gets down to it. Well, so I want to get into a little bit more of the process of this, because I think if anybody's still listening at this point and they actually are like, okay, Chris, maybe I'm going to buy into some of what you're saying here. I'm going to rethink my recruiting. Um, I'm going to put some more value on some of these things. You might be thinking about like, how, 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 how am I going to do that? How am I like, am I going to sit down and, and make a score up for somebody's potential or like what kind of cultural contribution and I'm going to percentage weight, all these things. I would just say, okay. Um, I subscribe to, uh, 
the statement that, you know, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So having some proactivity in your recruiting process and not constantly being in a state of reactivity, like I got to recruit this next class onto the next one. Let's get some more fast kids into my program. We got to get this team better, et cetera, et cetera. I would give thought, like if you're a college coach right now, or if you're any coach, think about who's on your team. Think about your seniors, right? Or your juniors, your kids that have been um, on your program. Who's panned out well? Start to think about why, right? Start to think about if you were there for them recruiting, give some thoughtfulness to like, what did I know about them or what was possible for me to know about them in the recruiting process? Um, Is my process for evaluating these people right? You know, is there something I need to add to it so that maybe I can do a better job predicting who's going to be good here? Because I talked to so many college coaches um, where I'm looking at their team and it's not the most, like it's not the most sought after recruit that down the line ends up being the best contributor for them. And, you know, the, on a certain level, like, yeah, okay, that's up to chance. You can't necessarily um, reverse engineer every piece of that. But I do think you can find a way to make that more likely to happen And if you do that, then all of a sudden, right, if you think about these recruits that are not necessarily your most sought after recruits in the process, there may be um, people who on a performance level are less heavily recruited. What you also create for yourself is it's probably going to be easier for you to get them to come to your school, right? You're going to be you're going to be a better option for them as well, a more desirable option for them as well. Um, and that can bring a lot of recruit that can bring a lot of efficiency to your recruiting process so that you're not always doing this crazy volume um, of recruiting and burning yourself out as a coach, trying to find people to put on your team. No, I, th- I think there's some good things in there. I, I, I really do. I think, um, Obviously, but you don't have to agree with me on everything. You, you, you can. No, I mean, like I said, there's good points in there. I'm not, I'm not saying half the stuff <laughs> is, is idiotic, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, what it is, it's like, it's just so much, it, we're so overwhelmed. You know, you've got a coach, you've got to do all these other things. And now you've got to think. So the easy thing again, is you can just sift through numbers really quickly. This fits, this doesn't, this fits, this doesn't. But, but again, when it starts getting down to it, yeah, I think definitely doing that little bit of research and, and, kind of trusting your own gut instinct as far as like, you know, when, when you're talking to the person, you know, are there, are there red flags or you know, are there things that are coming up that are like, this might not be a great fit or this is a good fit. But one of the things is like, anytime I found someone that was a really good fit and they might not be, and again, I, I didn't have a cutoff time other than this is what it takes to score at the meet. So if you want to travel with this, if you want to be at this conference meet, you're going to need to score in three events. And generally you're going to have to be able to score X amount of points in three events. Just, just because right, I so- did, so what, I'm sorry, but I, can I ask you about that? Would you, yeah. so when you say like you were recruiting and you go, you got to be able to score in three events, would you expect them to be already swimming at that level? Or would you sort of go like a percentage below saying like, I, I feel like, you know, I could coach you to one or 2% improvement in your first year and then you'd be scoring. Like, where would you set that? Yeah, I, I always, and I think that's kind of where I was egotistical and like, I would look at times and be like, they're 152 in the 200 freestyle. 
I know we can give him a 146. No problem. I got it. You know, so I, I was kind of thinking that in my head. I wouldn't say that a lot because I don't want to set someone's goal or set someone up or else. And you right. said, like, you, so, um, but the idea well, I think was, that's important to clarify because there, right. I'm telling you, a lot of people who set that standard, they're yeah. going like, you, you as a junior in high school, I've seen this. You as yeah, a junior sure. in high school, you need to be, have yeah. already gone a time that can score at the Big Ten championships. And I just I, think like, you say arrogant, I go like, on the other end, I go, do you have any confidence in your ability to develop athletes or do they all need to be like ready-made for you? You know? Yeah, I think what would it, so like to the point I was making as far as like, if, if they're not, if what, what, I was kind of like creating create that netting of like, listen, these are the things. And so I would just kind of score out the meat, like basically just kind of like, you know, let's just say, I don't know, like for a women, like if you're 104 in the hundred yard breaststroke, and you got those that in the 200 breaststroke, you're going to probably score 32 points at our meet. And then if you don't even have a third event, that's 32 points. You're going to go to the meet. Yeah. Basically, yeah. like we just, what was the, was the 18, 17, 16th person we took? They're scoring about 10, 12 points at the meet. Generally, you're going to have to be about 10 or 12 points to be able to score the meet. It's like, it's nothing's promised, but that's generally what it's been like. And if, if that's not something you're going to be able to do, then you're, you're going to probably be tapered for a dual meet. Are you going to be okay with that? And then right. like, that was the first step. And the second thing is like, and, and like, you really have to think about that. Are you going to be okay with that? And if not, I don't expect you to be okay with that. I expect you to be a little bit upset about that to try to come back next time even better. But the whole time is you never have to like that decision. In fact, you can hate the decision. You still need to be a good teammate. Still yeah, need to you be still need to sure. accept it. Yeah. And, and you need to be someone, again, if you're not leading the lane, Leading the lane is only who's pushing off first. Leading the lane could be second person, third person, fourth person in line saying, hey, guys, we got this. Let's keep it up. Things like that where you can still be someone that's inspiring your teammates, making that whole right. team better by, by pushing like that. And I found a lot of times like the, the people that weren't the best athletes when they were like that, it's, it's even more contagious because then you're like, yeah, I, I, I can do this. You know, again, I've got I've got like a little more support behind me. And, and you see the teams do great things when it's like that. But getting back to that idea of like having that cutoff time, I've, I've seen places do that or like you're not going to get a scholarship unless you have a trials cut or a B cut or something like that. Again, I, I understand, but it's one of those, like I said, it's, it's a little bit lazy in a sense. I, I understand we're all overwhelmed. We're all overbooked. I'm not saying like anyone's lazy that got into coaching, but that's really the, the, the place that you need to kind of put the emphasis in is like, what, what can we do? How can we, how can we get this person faster? What's the plan in place for them to get faster versus I think sometimes, um, you know, you see schools like maybe if they, uh, you know, they have so much a tuition or like tuition waivers and things like that, where you can bring in as many kids as you want, then it becomes like, well, if you bring in 40, at least one guy's got to figure out I'm going to be the best of these 40, you know, you're going to get a couple type A personalities going to rise to the top. So rather than kind of coaching them up, you're kind of like, well, let's just let's kind of like you know let's let's have a let's have Thunderdome, you know. Certain amount right. of bodies are entering, only one person's coming out, but that's okay. And and unfortunately, and I don't see this a lot in people I know, but I've I've heard about it where again the idea is you bring people in, and I'm giving you the opportunity, and that's like where you can kind of wipe your conscience clean. He's like, I gave them an opportunity; it's up to them to to do something with it. And so you, you can go on that side, and like it didn't work out you got to go and then you bring in someone else. And, and so kind of that high volume recruiting style, I think sometimes is like that. And I think one of the warning signs I used to tell people when they were looking at colleges is 
look at how many freshmen they're bringing in. You can go back four years ago. How many freshmen do they have on the team on the website? How many of those freshmen are now seniors? And I'm not saying it was because the coach drove them out or, or injuries or things like that. It could be, or it could be just whatever their major was isn't conducive to swimming there. You know, you see this a lot with like nursing majors. First two years, not a problem. Third year, that's a problem. And also it gets tough at some schools, not all schools, but some schools. And, right. and there's a, there's kind of that weed out factor academically. And there's a weed out factor athletically. We're like, well, if you're not keeping up. And so I think I remember like years back, I saw a speech about like this funnel of optimal performance, where if you're inside the funnel, you've got a better chance at like, you know, when you're eight, nine, 10 of being an elite level performer, if you're out of that funnel, if you're too slow, you're really not going to get into that. But also on the other right. end, if you're too fast to that funnel, it's like you might have overlooked some of the things that you need to swim faster later on. You know, maybe you're just that nine-year-old boy with a mustache and, you know, 250 of muscle. It's like, again, you're out of that funnel because you're too fast. Um, but I think for mo- a lot of times what we're looking at is that funnel. And like you said, where you're, if you're not confident in what you're doing, maybe make that funnel a little bit tighter because it's like I just want – I'll pay people to do what they're doing right now. Versus what I kind of envision it. And I think maybe just I've always worked at the underdog place where I always kind of like, I'm always trying to envision what that person might look like, you know, two, three, four years down the line rather than right now, because right. those are the people I'm recruiting. You know, it's, it's just the nature of, of where I'm at. Well, so I, I even, I'll make an argument for people like if you are constantly recruiting at or setting recruiting minimums at a level that's maybe above average for your team, you know, and then on the other end, that means that you're, you constantly have swimmers on your team that are not developing and improving. That's a huge psychological cultural challenge. That's a lot of swimmers that are unhappy on your team. Like if, if the majority of swimmers on your team are not on an upwards trajectory performance wise, that's going to be like almost insurmountable for you culturally to overcome as a coach, it's going to be so much work for you to deal with that number of unhappy people, right. Who are just not like, they're just by nature, they're just not going to be happy either sitting still or regressing um, swimming wise. So you're creating a lot more work for yourself and you're creating this one of these never ending cycles where you're overwhelmed and your solution to the overwhelm is to create the same problem um, yeah. to come back again. And so, like, I, I do think I, one, of, one of the strategies, um, and now, you know, I am aware always when I'm talking about this, that um, my recruiting, my, my, at least my Division One scholarship recruiting knowledge is now 10 years old. But um, one of the strategies that I employed in order maybe to sort of address both things here. Um, when I was at Georgia Tech, I spent a couple years running recruiting, um, and I used what, what what I called a barbell strategy. So we actually didn't even have the nine point nine scholarships on the men's side. I believe Georgia Tech still doesn't have nine point nine scholarships. But let's just say you're a a Division One college men's program with nine point nine for the purposes of doing math, right? And you feel pretty good about your you know retention of athletes in your program, let's say, you know, you, you keep, um, 80% of the people that start swimming finish, you know, four years of swimming there at your place. 
Um, that's actually, I have no idea what an average is, but let, let's just say that, right? So you might gonna, you might aim for eight kids a year in your recruiting class. Um, I'm going to do a lot of math here, right? Cause then that's 32 over four years, 80%. If you lose 20, 20% of that, you're going to end up right around 25, 26 swimmers. You're going to bring 18 people or so to your conference meet. You don't want to be down at 18, right? Cause then you don't have anybody to choose from. You always want, uh, your team to maybe be a little bit bigger than that. Okay. So you're going to recruit eight people. The barbell strategy, what I would do is I would look for two people that performance-wise are outstanding, that you think uh, can be A finalists at your conference championships and give them everything. <laughs> give them a full scholarship, okay? Give them, spend two out of your 9.9 scholarships on those two people. And then you're going to recruit six more people with half a scholarship, okay? And those six other people... I would be looking for athletes that are close enough, right? That are close enough to scoring in your conference, but that you think can develop, be good members of your team. And you're just like, yeah, you're taking a chance on them. You're giving them an opportunity and you're just going to see what happens when you throw them in the mix with these other people. Um, That's sort of what I thought, uh, worked best. And I think it also simplifies things for you uh, strategically when you're looking at recruiting. And obviously you can adapt some of that um, even into a non-scholarship environment or um, an environment where, where where a lot of men's teams are, where they have less in terms of scholarship. I think if you kind of stepping back too, because, you know, we only have one college coach probably listening, maybe one club coach. So for the one club coach that would be listening, the idea would be, I always thought like with, with kids that are jumping clubs, like, well, why, why are you jumping clubs? You know, what, what's the reason, you know, like yeah. I didn't like him on that team. It's like team had 400 kids on it. We have 40. You didn't like any kids there. Not going to like any kids here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the, the, right. the idea again is like, um, you know, just because someone brings in a certain time, they can bring in a lot of headaches too. And if you're just bringing in because of the time, then you're not really doing, I think, well, maybe you are, but a lot of us aren't really doing what we set out to do you know, coach people for something beyond just swimming. You know, we want to bring in people of character. We want, to, we want to, you know, have a great work environment for ourselves. And if you're just bringing in times and things like that, then I think you're, you're automatically setting yourself up to be under the gun of like, they're here for one reason and that's it. Right. And, and you're right. coaching them for one reason and that's it. And I think it, it becomes a pretty hollow relationship. And I think that kind of ends up, you know, a lot of people around you can kind of sense that too. So the idea of always like, you know, doing a certain amount of vetting, you know, again, not trying to weed people out, but just, you know, understand what you're expecting from everyone, you know, and I think as a coach, sometimes we need to kind of codify what exactly, why we're bringing, why we're bringing people and what, what are we trying to do with our program? And always kind of going back to that, that mission statement in a sense of like, this is what I'm here for. This is why I'm doing it. Is this, is this going to enhance that? And then the same thing, what are the kids in the team here for? Is it, right? what am I doing? Is it, am I enhancing that? You know, if like, it's funny, like I always think of the George Kennedy thing where he said like, Hey, uh, I want every practice to be the best part of their day. At the end of the practice, all of a sudden, like, let's see me just yelling like a madman. Did that really help them make it the best part of the day? Did I really create a space where like, you know, this kid's been sitting in school for eight hours, told to sit still, don't do this, don't do that. Did I just create an environment that's like really fun for them? It's like, eh, 
probably. So again, you want to just want to be able to answer that question to yourself. And I think when you start like bringing these people on like that, again, where, where the all of a sudden you start shifting a little bit to just performance versus all the right. other things. I think that's when all of a sudden you start to create like that, uh, that, that environment where again, it's, it's not really something that anyone wants to belong to plus yourself. Also, you're like, why, why am I in this? And then it's like, you know, three, four months down the road, you're like, you're like, I can't believe all these kids, like you, you created this. Right. This that, that, but you did that on purpose. <laughs> yeah. You didn't do it on purpose, but this is what's been, this is what's again, that checks in the mail, you know, it, it's going to be yeah. coming pretty soon. Once right. you start going down that road. And so it's always like, I, I think it's like, you know, to try to break down exactly what you said. The idea here is like, it's like gardening, you know, it's like just every day, just, just doing a little bit of maintenance. So you don't have to spend that one day of just redoing everything. It's like, we're right. just doing a little bit here and there. You want to do that vetting process. You want honesty and communication with the people that are currently on your team. You want honesty and openness with the com- people that might be coming into the team. Um, and, and as you're looking for athletes, understand again, especially with the recruiting process now, you know, they're recruiting so much earlier and earlier and earlier. These people are developing late. You know, you, you have to start to look for those things that, that might be indicators of, of performance down the road. And, and those are indicators, again, that aren't going to show up all the time in the stats line. Again, the people that are able to, again, start at the bottom and work their way up to the top, that's become a rare kind of a thing. And so to, to find those people, I think, really help your program and really brings energy and enthusiasm in your program versus like, you know, the, the wrong kind of energy. I just, I'm going to, I think we're at a, a wrap up point, Joel, but I think you just gave us the perfect idea for what we should actually discuss on next week's podcast, which All is, right. I think we should sit down and talk about how, how would we evaluate somebody for potential? How would, what are, what are the stuff both of us look for coaching wise to say, to torture, to, to, to try <laughs> to figure out who do we think is going to improve who do we think is on an upward um, trajectory? Because I think that's a really important question to answer. And again, it's relevant both to coaches and to athletes, right? Because um, right. if you're an athlete, it's not it's not like a quality that you have that you're either somebody with potential or somebody without potential, right? It's something yeah. you can you can develop in yourself to put yourself in a position to be somebody with potential. Um, and so uh, I think that'll be worth discussing, but that's where we'll end it for here. Right. Christy underscore coach on Instagram, CD swim coach on Facebook, swim brief podcast at gmail.com. Email Joel, you, you know, you could probably find his email somewhere if you want to give him a hard time about anything. He loves getting emails about the podcast. Um, and otherwise we'll see you next week. Thanks, Joel. Thank you.